Welcome to Night Shift with Andrea Up Late. Uh, I am joined tonight by co-host BC Sanders. How you doing, BC? Uh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. <clears throat> Forgive me as I get my notes in order and my <laughs> ducks in a row and my squirrels lined up. Um, hey, everybody. So welcome to Night Shift. Night Shift is a true crime podcast. Uh, we air live every Tuesday night at 8, 7 central on the Andrea Up Late YouTube channel. Also, <clears throat> excuse me, you can find me at Instagram at Andrea Uplate, uh, and that should do it. You can listen to it wherever you stream your podcast as well. I am joined, as I stated, by BC Sanders uh, as my co-host tonight. He's quite a frequent recurring co-host, <laughs> I would say, at this point. Uh, BC is a former homicide lieutenant, so he often can in, excuse me, lend great insight to these cases. Uh, BC is also co-host of the Disruptors podcast with BC and Ski, and they have a YouTube channel of the same name. <clears throat> so we have some people in the chat. And uh, for those of you who may be first time listeners, like I said, this is a live YouTube show as well. So we will often engage the chats, answer questions as they arise, uh, depending on the case and how uh, difficult it is to get through. Otherwise, sometimes we wait till the end. Um, <clears throat> but uh we've got everybody we got silly we got david dickerman we got uh david, david jay's in the chats we got a few of you guys so i also noticed that silly used the word y'all and so i feel like i'm doing a good <laughs> job of influencing that michigan lady but um without further ado we can get started here in a moment bc do you have anything to add how you doing this week Oh, I'm wonderful now. Yeah. Yeah. I got everything set up. Everything seems to be working good. So yeah, we're, <laughs> we're good to go. I think the comments earlier were we're on the wrong sides. On the I know. Screen. I will. And I said that that might be something that's <clears throat> that's stated. Yeah. I'm used to being on the other side. So now if I look this way and you look that way, we don't look hopefully strange and like we're looking off into outer space and, and I can actually, uh, get in the chat. And, yeah. And type. So yeah. That's good. And Celia is saying that in fairness, she's always said y'all. Whatever. It's fine. Good. I mean, that's the way everyone should speak. I agree. Coast to coast. <clears throat> I agree. So tonight, uh, BC, do you know if you know anything about this case, really, that we're going to discuss? Um, I may know about 10% of it. Okay. Just, just from you mentioning it, but I don't, I don't know a whole lot of the details. Perfect. Right. So for those of you um, who maybe have not listened that much, that's usually how these shows go. I kind of break down a case. Um, unless it's something pretty famous, he often uh, will not know much of the case. And so that way we can get like fresh perspective and bounce ideas off of each other. And that way the show does usually cover unsolved cases. Sometimes that's not the case, but often it is. Uh, we always like to get, names and phone numbers for local law enforcement agencies out there where these cases pertain, things like that, uh, in case, you know, DNA is ever rerun or, you know, people's memories are jogged and whatnot. So I do enjoy uh, covering these cases where families have been left with unanswered questions. Uh, we got Bosco and Carly in the chats. Hey, everybody, we're going to get to it tonight. We're going to cover a case. Uh, this will be my second time covering this. You'll notice on season two, I'll be kind of revisiting some of the cases I did in season one. I like to get a fresh, fresh perspective here with BC or any other host I have. 
um, and just kind of dive into some of these. So this case is actually uh, out of California and it's an unsolved case from 1980. All right. So we're going to take it back in our time machines here. So remember what that means, too. We often talk about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we often talk about uh, technology and advances in technology mm -hmm. and, you know, what is just normal for us now that we're used to. And then um, <clears throat> what we forget that we've gotten used to, like CCTV footage or everyone mm -hmm. having a ring doorbell or you know, any of the red light cams that can follow someone's movements as they are trying to flee a crime. And so mm -hmm. all of those things, you know, are, are really new advancements in technology. And particularly when we're going back 40, 50 years in some of these cases, uh, those things didn't exist, nor did cell phones, uh, internet wasn't being used, you know, all of these things that our brains jump to immediately now. So uh, let's go on and talk. We're going to be talking about a missing a uh, murdered woman named Dorothy Scott. Like I said, this case takes place just outside of Anaheim, California in 1980. All right. So <clears throat> let me go on and get my notes on this side. I'll show y'all my, my best side. This <laughs> side. <laughs> All right. So Dorothy Jane Scott uh, was born in April of 1948 to Jacob and Vera Scott. And like I said, this was in Anaheim, California. So when she was um, around 18 years old, <clears throat> this is when like a lot of things were changing in the United States. Uh, think like the hippie movement, the late 60s, Vietnam, these mm -hmm. kinds of things. And so we have especially right, particularly there in California, we have a lot of those kinds of movements um, and revolutions going on in terms of the teenagers and their style and way of thinking and way of living and this just kind of didn't really affect Dorothy. So Dorothy's parents uh, were pretty straight laced. Uh, they regularly attended their church. They kind of kept to a quiet lifestyle. And and Dorothy was pretty much the same. She followed suit. So around 18, 19 years old, she was just kind of working, <clears throat> excuse me, going to school, these kinds of things. So in 1976, Dorothy had a little boy. Uh, his name is Sean. So she was 28 when she gave birth to Sean. Uh, as far as any sources I can see, it looks like Sean's dad wasn't really in the picture for very long. He went on and moved back to Missouri, and that was about 2,000 miles away from where they were in Anaheim, all right, in California. So the child's father lived on the other side of the states, really, <clears throat> and just really wasn't in the picture with little Sean there. So because of this, uh, Dorothy wound up living with her aunt who lived there in town. She was a single working mom. Her parents were right there in town and they would often take care of Sean while Dorothy was at work full time. So they kind of had a close little tight knit family in that sense. And uh, we're doing just fine. Everything was going pretty well. So by 1980, Dorothy was 32 years old. Little Sean was four at this time. And Dorothy was working. So contrary to kind of what I just described in terms of uh, her lifestyle and these kinds of things, she was working at uh, a store called the Swingers Psych Shop. The Swingers Psych Shop was kind of like a has nothing to do with, you know, the term swingers. That was just the name of the store. And it was more of like a described as like a hippie store. So I think beaded curtains, black lights, uh, certain kinds of clothing, these kinds of things. And Swinger's Psych Shop was uh, 
located like a J or it was actually connected to a different shop in this like strip mall, if you will, called Custom John's Head Shop. And that was what it sounds like. It was a head shop. So they had like pipes, bongs, bowls, paraphernalia um, for weed and these kinds of things. That's where she worked. Uh, and the reason she worked there was because her father, actually her father, Jacob, had originally owned uh, the Swingers Psych Shop. And he had gotten her that job there. But she wasn't really like a face of the company, if you will. She worked in the back, kind of like in reception in the back. So like when vendors and different things like that would come in and out of the store, that's where she was. So if you went through the front door of the store, you wouldn't see Dorothy necessarily sitting there or working behind a counter in that capacity. Um, by now, though, her father, Jacob, had sold the company to the guy, John, who owned Custom John's Head Shop next door. So now John owns both of these. But her father, Jacob, would regularly come back to be kind of a handyman and, you know, be present within both of those stores. So she worked, like I said, there in the back of that one. Some accounts state that she worked at, at both of those stores, but we for sure know that she worked at the, uh, the psych shop. So they, they, meaning her co-workers, would <coughs> consider Dorothy... Um, dependable. She was reliable. Um, she had, uh, I mean, just a very regular schedule that she stuck to. So by all accounts, it sounds like she didn't have much of a dating life. Uh, it sounds like she did pretty regularly go to church, was at work Monday through Friday, and otherwise was just raising her son. I mean, he was only four at this point. So uh, it sounds like she didn't partake in like a lot of drinking or drug use or anything like that. So this case, guys, you're going to learn, if you're not familiar with it, that there's not much to it in terms of sometimes we have cases where it's all I can do to get through it in an hour and a half's time because the timeline is so detailed and very specific and it matters for the case. This one is much more vague in that sense, and it's a very short story to get through. So probably the brunt of our discussion today will be us just talking about ideas and theories and things that could have gone awry here with Dorothy Scott. Um, as always, BC, just pop in and interrupt me if you have, if you have uh, thoughts or questions, do. if you I have thoughts do. or questions. Um, so in May of 1980, it was actually May 28th of 1980, Dorothy drops her son off, <clears throat> excuse me, at her parents' house. Like I said, they often kept Sean while she was working. So she went to work as usual well, that night at around nine o'clock p.m., they were going to have a staff meeting. That's when they could get all of the employees there. So they had all kind of geared up to have this staff meeting. So Dorothy's parents knew that she would be picking up little Sean later than usual. Uh, but as she's sitting in the staff meeting, she has a co-worker named Conrad. So Conrad Bostron is his name, actually. So he just doesn't look well. And as the night goes on, I guess he's kind of fidgeting, looking more and more uncomfortable. And so they look down and he's got this like red uh, raised spot on his arm that's getting increasingly more red as the time goes on. And it's starting to cause him a lot of pain. He's feeling sick now. So Dorothy and another coworker, Pam Head and Conrad uh, all get in the car because she and Pam are going to go together to take Conrad to the emergency room. Like I said, the staff meeting was at 9 p.m. that evening. So it was outside of regular doctor's hours, but he is not looking well. So they make the decision to go on and take him. But on the way to the hospital, 
they were going to Irvine University Medical Center. And on the way there, her uh, her parents lived on that route. So they quickly swung in to Dorothy's parents' home. She wanted to check on little Sean really quickly before he was asleep uh, and, and tell her parents that actually she was going to be running later than expected since she was making this un, you know unexpected trip to the emergency room with her coworker. So Conrad and Pam stay in the car. Dorothy runs in. Uh, she checks on little Sean like she had planned to do. She exchanges a couple of words with her mother. At this point, her mom kind of reminds her that it's going to be a little cool that night. And so she or that evening. And so she changes. She had been wearing um, a black scarf and she changed to a red scarf and then she leaves the house. This will be important. As always is the case, these little details a little bit later on, there's a reason why we're talking about it. So she puts on the red scarf, hops back in the car. She was in and out in no time. They get to the hospital. So while Conrad goes back to be assessed, uh, Pam and Dorothy are just waiting in the, the um, I almost said the lounge, the waiting room mm-hmm. of the emergency room right there, okay? So he's back there for a couple of hours being treated and it's determined while he's back there that he in fact was suffering from a sickness. He was getting very sick from an infect from a a black widow spider bite. Uh, So they promptly treat his wound uh, and are going to go on and send him home. He's going to be fine, but he needs these antibiotics. So a couple hours after getting there, Conrad comes and meets back up with Pam and uh, Dorothy And they all start to walk toward the hospital pharmacy so that Conrad can pick up his antibiotics to go on home. While they're doing this, again, you know, Conrad, it's not like he's immediately just feeling better. He needs to get this medicine on board. So he's he's not feeling his best. And Dorothy says that she's going to go on and grab the car. And so Pam says, "Okay." so Pam stays with Conrad and they wait and Dorothy leaves. Well, now. Pam and Conrad have kind of made their way to the exit of the hospital, to the doors there, waiting to look for uh, Dorothy's 1973 Toyota station wagon, a white station wagon. So about 15, 20 minutes goes by. Uh, 25 minutes goes by. They're, They're waiting and they don't know what in the world is going on. So, you know, they don't know if she's been, you know, they start to get worried. And I'll tell you why they start to get worried here in a moment. But about 20 to 30 minutes after they walk outside the doors around like 11, 15, 11, 30 that evening on the 28th of May, they look down the road and see coming from the parking deck or parking garage what appears to be Dorothy's car. And as it gets closer, they realize it, in fact, is Dorothy's car, Um, but it's speeding and it's speeding right toward them. And the headlights are on bright. They can't for the life of them see who is driving the car. They're assuming Dorothy. At the last moment, the car veers off. It takes a sharp right turn and vanishes. And they don't know what in the world is going on. So now they start to be concerned that there had been an emergency um, with little Sean. You know, they, they don't know why she would have sped off like that. That was not obviously in her character. And, it, you know, nothing else would make sense for her to do so. So they wait. Now, we'll discuss this, but some people do seem to find a little problem with them waiting as long as they did. So they wait about an hour, hour and a half, and then they call Dorothy's parents. Keep in mind, they were her coworkers and Jacob was often, like I said, uh, used her father employed kind of as the handyman there at the shop that they worked at. Mm -hmm. So all of the employees uh, evidently from what I've read knew his number. 
So again, guys, they could have used a phone book, but we didn't have cell phones and things like this at our at at our disposal. So whether they used a phone book or whether they just called him by memory, they called Jacob's mom and or Dorothy's mom and dad to see if, in fact, Dorothy had come there to pick up little Sean. They say <clears throat> they say that she has, in fact, not been there whatsoever. And they get a little alarmed because they don't know why she would have obviously sped off from the hospital. So, like I said, some people kind of find a little fault with the fact that they waited about an hour and a half after she left to call. But their argument is just that they thought she'd come back. Like they didn't know why she left and they just mm -hmm. thought she'd come back. Mm -hmm. So I think they just sat in the waiting room and that was it. Um, so now at this point, Dorothy's parents are a little alarmed and they reach out to local authorities. Well, the local police department isn't too terribly worried. This is a grown woman. It's a 32 year old woman who uh, has gone in every account on her own accord in her own vehicle, you know, around midnight or so that night. So mm -hmm. they don't think too much of it. Uh, they're not, it's not like an all points bulletin to find this woman at this point. So they kind of are going to let the night go by. Well, around four 30 or so that into the morning of the 29th. So a few hours later, uh, Authorities get called. There was a car that had been on fire in an alley about 10 miles away. And so when they get there, they find that this car, uh, in fact, had burned from the inside out. The driver's window was down. There was a can of accelerant in the front passenger seat. Uh, and um, it, it was burned. But there was no Dorothy. There was no perpetrator. There was mm -hmm. no... Um, clothing, anything like that left behind. So they are perplexed. Um, this comment, sir. Well, it's <laughs> I just for some reason when I type a certain phrase, it will not put it in the comments. Oh, that's interesting. Something about ballistics. I don't know why every time I type it. it oh, okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to distract you. No, it's okay. Y'all yeah. writing books over there, which is good. I like it. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Just telling everybody in here that the comments were, my comments were lagging. I was referencing, oh. we're talking about through history, the, the ability of fingerprinting and, mm. and I was just talking about ballistics and shell casings, but it won't. Well, there are none of that in this yeah, story. So. Exactly. So <laughs> sorry. I just messed everything up. You did not. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. But it won't let you type ballistics. Sorry. No, I'm excited if you're listening. That's it, interesting. Yeah. I we can screenshot it later. Okay. If I type the exact same phrase, it keeps saying the comment has failed to post. The comment has failed to post. But then I put, are my comments coming through? Yes. Try. So anyway, yeah, this case doesn't have anything. Well, to do it's not case. like um, YouTube doesn't pay me to do this. So it's not like right. we would get demonetized, I think is my point. But I also would like to say. I just typed gun just to see. That's fine. Yeah. For people to, when you were saying like people waiting like an hour and being mm -hmm. criticized and that sort of thing. I mean, in 1980, we also didn't know so much about what goes on with crime and how no. people either go missing or well, I don't even think yeah. they thought it was a crime. Right. They just think Dorothy sped off. I think that they think she's <laughs> tending to her own emergency. Right. Yeah. You know, or just mm -hmm. don't fully know why she would have left. They get more concerned once they call her parents and realize she hasn't been there to pick up. Yeah. The kid. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. How you doing? I'm good. Are you good? Thirsty. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So yeah, you're exactly right. So like I said, a few hours later, Dorothy's car is found having been burned. 
uh, driver window down, what, you know, some things blown out there, accelerant in the front seat. So this is by all accounts now looking like a crime. <clears throat> um, and so Davey's telling me to be careful on what I type in the comments when it comes to some things like that. But guess what, Davey? Mm. They don't pay me to do anything anyway. So there's not really anything YouTube can take away from me at this point. I don't think <laughs> so it's fine. It's it, it is weird. That sent that fine. one phrase wouldn't. That is interesting. Thank you, Bosco. Yeah, if you're watching, guys, hit the like button. That would be fantastic. I appreciate it. So her car was found at 4.30 that morning on May 29th, all right? And that was in Santa Ana, about 10 miles, like I said, from UC Irvine Medical Center. Um, and we, we, we don't know. We don't know. But listen to this. This is the reason that Conrad and Pam did start to get a little concerned when some time went by and they had not yet heard back from Dorothy or she had not come back or, you know, whatnot. So... For about several months, sources kind of vary on this one, but for quite a few months prior to this weird disappearance, if you will, of Dorothy, uh, she had been getting these really creepy phone calls. So now it started more like um, someone kind of interested in her. And I think she mm -hmm. just blew it off as kind of like a, you know, like at first maybe like a prank mm -hmm. and then maybe just like a secret admirer, if you will. But then they get a little more intense, a little more threatening in nature, and then yes. erratic in terms of what the man would say, like his mood. She could never quite understand if he was going to be kind that day or threatening. Okay. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say something. No. <laughs> well, I was going to say it would be important to know exactly what was said. Mm -hmm. If there was a way to be able to document it um, as best you could. Right. The syntax, the way the phrases are arranged. Right. If you're picking up anything, accents, if you're picking up any kind exactly. of certain colloquialisms. Look like someone you, yeah. said earlier in the chats, they use the word soda. That's silly. <laughs> it is silly. Who would use that word? <laughs> oh, my God. So <laughs> but all jokes aside, to use those phrases, sure. you can narrow down the suspect. Pool. Absolutely. Yeah. And so... Uh, <clears throat> And not to say that people won't um, call or wouldn't call long distance then, then yeah. that would have had, let's say this person lives somewhere farther away. That would have then been, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a long distance call, which would be a little bit less frequent to use uh, than now when we don't have to pay for that via cell phones. Uh, mm -hmm. The difference is we know that this did not take place. Uh, these phone calls did not take place from a greater distance because we do know a little bit about what this individual said when he called and spoke with Dorothy. So it started with him saying things just like how he, um, you know, he liked her and things like that. Then it gets a little more personal. Then he starts saying things to her like uh, he liked the dress she was wearing that day and would describe it. Okay. So then he starts, you can tell by what he's doing and where he's calling. Like, so he would call her at work when she was at work. Uh, he would call her at home when she was at home. He knew her schedule and he would say things to her to let her know he knew her schedule. Uh, he would tell her he liked her hair in a ponytail that day if that's how she wore her hair. So he, by all accounts, was physically keeping an eye. Yeah. And if he her. is right on his, like if he's saying your ponytail, I liked your ponytail today and he's correct that she had a ponytail that day, then... If I mean, this is sounds weird, but like if you can just retrace where exactly you went that day, 
And then well, you, so all she really did was go home and go to and work. And go to work, exactly. So then probably what you're going to say later is they triangulated some stuff and worked on who went in and out of. I wish. Okay, we know. don't really have that. But we okay. do know that one time he said to her, uh, he started to threaten her. So mm -hmm. let's talk a little about, uh, oh, excuse me, a little bit about these phone calls. <clears throat> excuse me. So I, I will say about his voice, she didn't recognize his voice. So okay. it wasn't yeah. like it sounded to her like someone she knew. But she yeah. did start to get more and more frightened as time went on about these calls, as you can imagine. So sometimes he would tell her how much he loved her. He wanted to be with her. He was clearly becoming infatuated, completely mm -hmm. fixated on her. So uh, one time he actually called her when uh, she was at her mother's house. Uh, one time when she was at her mom's house, she gets a phone call there uh, and it's for Dorothy. He asks for Dorothy and he told her he wanted to quote, chop her up into bits. So no one would ever find her. Okay. Um, but then, like I said, the next call could be how much he loved her and how yeah, lovely she was. Uh -huh. So like, this is the kind of stuff she's getting. Um, and and it's getting more and more frightening. At this point, she started taking karate classes for self-defense. You know, you guys, it was 1980. There's only so much one can do. Yeah. Um, I guess she could have gotten pepper spray or something. She did entertain the idea of a gun, mm -hmm. but she only didn't do it because she was concerned for her four-year-old son. She she was just terrified that he would get a hold of it. And so she just couldn't figure okay. out a way to have it and feel safe with it. Um, but she did start taking up, like like I said, uh, karate classes and things like this. And she, everyone who knew her by this point knew she was getting really concerned. Um, <clears throat> one time uh, he actually had told her that the next morning he would have something for her. And so he said that he was going to something along the lines of leaving something for her, have something for her. So the next morning she actually had to go out to her car to go to work. And there was a single dead rose on the windshield of her car. Okay. So this is like straight out of uh, like a, like a stalking movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I know cases still go on like that. I do believe that now in probably the last 10 to 15 years, people are very hesitant to leave anything mm. like that because they would leave traces of their DNA right. on the item. They would leave their fingerprints potentially. Yeah. You know, they would get caught on cameras as they're yeah. walking in and out of parking This was lot. still in so, the golden yeah. age of being able to like commit crimes and get away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. Interesting. Yes. So, so this all, that all happened prior to her going missing. Um, and the car sped down, right? She passed her friends or somebody passed her friends driving her car. It was found later that morning. And then that was it. No one hears or sees of Dorothy again after that. So those calls don't stop. So once she had gone missing a week or two went by and then her mother gets a phone call at her house and it's, it's the phone call is for it's directed for Dorothy's mother. And it says, uh, her name is Vera again. So Vera answered the phone and he says, are you related to Dorothy Scott? 
And she said, yes. Now you've got to understand she's kind of elated right now because she probably thinks someone has some information about her daughter. And he just said, I've got her and hung up the phone. Like I said, it's about a week or two after Dorothy had gone missing. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, she's now just in shambles. The mom is, she's devastated. She doesn't know what to make of it. Her husband comes home from work. They go talk to authorities about this phone call. Um, and they immediately say like, okay, you know what? Like, that's it. Like we, you know, we're going to take this very seriously. Also, please don't go to any media outlets. Now I will say we talk about the way investigations are handled every single week on this show. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. And they did do a really good job of saying, Hey, like, don't talk to the media. We don't need certain specific details getting out because now we've got this, you've got to think every case is a bit different. And in this one, when you've got authorities or when you've got, um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. When you've got like, um, what am I even trying to say here? Uh, oh, this caller. Yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. When you've got this caller saying, mm -hmm. um, just randomly calling, this just would set the scene for someone else, another caller to call in to pretend to be this guy. So they can't be giving a lot of information like that. Um, yeah. So the comments were like, and I'll say this because if you're listening to the podcast, uh, people were putting in the comments and one of the questions came up about lifting fingerprints off of an item like that. Oh, okay. Off of like the like dead the rose. rose. Okay. Yeah. And it could be also, also like someone being sarcastic too. Like you can say, oh, can you lift prints off of a rose? Um, obviously you can't, but one of the things I was addressing, sorry, I was clacking away oh, is good. that anytime you're working something like that, like an item that's left behind, even in 1980, if, if you can isolate that, you, you would fingerprint the windshield, you know what I'm saying? Like, so someone yeah, has sure. to lean on it or adjust it, touch the windshield wiper, however they place that rose. Now you could walk up, just jam it in there and walk off and never touch the car. But people have gotten lucky before where someone did, they were. Well, I think even in 1980, people knew to wear a glove if they want, if it was something that true. simple, like mm -hmm. it wasn't something like he's really messing with the inside of her home or something. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, exactly. So, so anyway, so the authorities tell, the authorities tell that us, okay. Mm -hmm. Um Vera and Jacob to please don't go, don't go tell any of these things to other people. We don't need the media knowing about it. We don't want any of these details to get out. Well, another week or two goes by and I think Jacob is getting a bit um, restless and concerned that it's not being worked. And so he does go to the local newspaper. He actually goes to the, he calls the Orange County Register uh, and tells them, about his daughter's disappearance. He's hoping that more eyes on it will be more concentration on it. And they're going to have, you know, better way of getting this handled and, and solved. So quickly, the paper did run a story. They talk about the circumstances around Dorothy's disappearance. Um, and so now Jacob and Vera just kind of sit back and wait. But we now get a caller on the phone with the editor of the newspaper. Pat Riley, Pat Riley was the name of the editor. And so we get a phone call to the Orange County Register. The phone call says, quote, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. And he hangs up the phone. Now, 
At this time, this caller also has certain pieces of information that no one would know. This stuff has not been given out yet to the media or to anyone else. Um, things that only authorities would know and maybe her parents. For instance, he said, what did I say earlier about that scarf? He, de he was in detail talking about the fact that she was wearing a red scarf the evening she disappeared. And he also mentioned that she was with a man who had a spider bite and was being treated for it. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, so you have a great idea to know that this was not just a fake caller. This person is very likely yeah. the person who has something to do with Dorothy's disappearance. Yeah. Given those details also, maybe he learns them later, but he's probably at this point, this had yeah. not been, it, it wasn't, wasn't in media. I can't say yes. friends and family didn't know, right. In closer circles yeah. might've known these details, mm -hmm. but this was not, when the media ran the story, mm -hmm. the Orange County Register, I should say, that local newspaper, these are not details that were run in that story. Right. And they were the only ones that, that ran the story publicly at this point. Yeah. So those were details that the caller gave. Um, so this was baffling to everyone, as you can imagine. They, the family and friends of Dorothy will say that there's, they don't think that she had any boyfriend. She wouldn't have had time for it. They were with her all the time. You've got to think she's dropping little Sean off at her parents' house in the morning, going to work, picking him up in the evening, often eating dinner with them, going back home to her aunt's house with her sons. So her aunt sees her. So people are seeing her routinely. And so they kind of know her schedule pretty well. Um, so months and months go by, but y'all, the calls don't stop. The calls come in now every Wednesday afternoon to Vera, to her mother, for the next four years. So every mm. Wednesday for four years, Vera <laughs> answers the phone. And while she later will say how sickening it was and she hated it and she dreaded those Wednesdays, she also hoped that at some point one of those calls would be something that lets her have some information <laughs> on her daughter. Okay? Mm -hmm. So every week for four years until one time – um, oh, and to, to be fair, police put like a tracing device or a whatever on right. their phone to anticipate these calls. But whoever is calling in knew exactly how long he could talk um, mm -hmm. and hang it up. And we've talked about this yeah. before. But again, guys, remember 1980. So they weren't able to then take this and trace it back to a location and all these kinds of things. Best that I know, mm -hmm. they just had to keep him on the line for a certain amount of time to lock in and then get where he's calling from. Uh, and since he would disconnect prior to that, they couldn't. I, I would be interested to know in 1980, when you pull records, like uh -huh. phone records mm -hmm. back then, that you could actually pull the phone number, the actual phone number. that's calling. Yeah. Now I know most people would use a pay phone for that. Right. True. And but, I'm trying to remember then, because this wasn't even like 87, 80. This was 19. Well, yeah. I mean, 1980 yeah. through 1984. So pay phones back then, you, if you knew the phone number that, that was actually assigned to that pay phone, it's on the pay phone. Mm -hmm. You can call that pay phone in a ring and then people will answer. So I do wonder back then what were their capabilities for pulling phone records right. in order to see. Because if he's calling every Wednesday they and can they have a device on it. Did, yeah. yeah. Well, and it just makes me think, not like that that mm -hmm. wasn't possible because I do think in all that time they would have done that. And I hate to say, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. you know, I think they would, but they right. were making other moves to try to locate the call yeah. and try to figure this out. So, so it probably was because the, maybe the, the phone call was not 
long enough or something. Right, to maybe, maybe even register the number. And yeah. I'm trying to remember phone records then, too. Like, when you got your your landline phone bill, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess they could call the company, like you said. But I don't think you're getting a list of calls and phone numbers then. Yeah, and I, I would have to double check myself. But I'm almost positive in some of the unsolves that we have looked at in the past, you know, that we had phone records like that, where you would have phone numbers. Mm -hmm. There was almost like a log. Now it may just be certain companies would provide that. I remember that with cell phones years ago. Like when you get a paper bill with your cell phone and it would say it. True. I don't remember like in 1980. Meaning like when I look at at cases, you know, years ago and assignments I had. Yeah. That, there would be like old, like almost like dot matrix printouts. Oh, from prior of, to when you worked the case. Right. So I then gotcha. probably gotcha. someone had to do like some type of a search warrant or something to get that information. From the company. Yeah. And, and I'm sure back then, obviously with this case, if they had those capabilities, they would have. It would be interesting to see if like coming in from a pay phone, if it's only a 10 second or 20 second call or something, he's hanging up before. Mm-hmm. They can trap that phone number or they could have that information maybe through the phone records or something. Right. Yeah. I don't know. So they, but they never did. Um, and then one day Jacob was home during this phone call, uh, Dorothy's father, and he answered the phone and the caller hung up and uh, didn't call, didn't call again. So there's different theories on that and why he wouldn't talk when Jacob answered the phone, but <clears throat> excuse me. And that time, that was when the caller had actually called later in the evening than he generally called on Wednesdays. And that day, Jacob was home. by Or by that time of the evening, Jacob was home uh, from work. And so the case the case went cold at this point. Um, but then on August 6th of 1984, so four years after she went missing, uh, there was a guy working construction uh, about in the Santa Ana Canyon about 30 feet or so off the road, there was like a remote construction site. And this guy was out there kind of clearing land. They're starting to excavate and dig up some stuff. Um, And some bones were found. And so there had been like a brush fire uh, in the area and these bones were a bit scorched. Mm. Um, And so when they start to dig and get these bones out, they realize that then underneath the dog bones are, because when they first find the dog bones, they, do remember the Dorothy Scott case and want to make sure. And so they call in investigators who says like, no, these are animal bones. It's fine. But underneath the dog bones were more remains. And these actually did belong to a human. And these did belong to Dorothy Scott. So four years after she went missing, uh, her remains were found. I believe it was like two femurs, a pelvis, a skull, and a part of one of her arms. So, uh, we'll talk about the idea of the dog bones on top of the human bones as well. Um, I don't think that there was a coincidence that someone buried their dog or a dog died just on the top of exactly where human remains were found. I guess Mm -hmm. stranger things have happened, but I don't think that that's exactly what happened. Um, About a week later, her dental record, the dental records were used to confirm the fact that it was Dorothy. But in the meantime, authorities already knew this because also with the bones were found um, a ring, a turquoise ring and a watch. Uh, which the parents confirmed to mm-hmm. belong to Dorothy. Um, it's super interesting. I will say that the that the watch uh, 
had stopped. The battery had died mm-hmm. on May 29th. So if you remember when she, as her car was speeding away that night, it was around midnight or so of the 29th or, you know, like the night of the 28th into the 29th. So it stopped on May 29th um, around 1230, one o'clock, I believe. I think it was like 1232 is when her, her watch showed stopped. And she left the parking lot, like, I believe like an hour prior. So, um, it's not an Apple watch. I don't know why the watch would have just stopped. The battery would have stopped working at that point. I mean, Mm -hmm. unless it was banged or like, you know, hit and just rendered, um, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not working. I I don't know, but that's an interesting point. It may mean nothing, but it's interesting to know. I think it could point to that something happened to Dorothy, uh, as would everything else point to it probably pretty quickly after she disappeared, her car was found, like I said, that night as well. So um, that was it. The case, the case went cold. I mean, the case mm-hmm. it's unsolved to this day. Uh, mm-hmm. There are a few different theories. And so we can talk about those a little bit. Um, Bosco's talking about bones. Mm. Nope. Uh, but yeah, what yeah. is your initial kind of thought here? So, in 1980, I mean, we Santa is not a small town uh-huh. or city. Well, and well, that's where her bones were found. But Anaheim is where she. Or was. Anaheim. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. It's all close yeah. stuff. Um, but any of those cities, your detectives back then, just like now, would know who their repeat offenders are, mm-hmm. or who you know, because even back then, you would have detectives working, you know, serial rapists or um, what probably was categorized back then as like sex crimes. Okay. So, or stalking or like certain you know, divisions. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, even when I was a rookie, robbery detectives still used three ring binders with like repeat offenders, people who okay. were just known to commit robberies and um, special victims had the same thing, like these binders of people who had a very specific behavior they did. So mm-hmm. if they're a peeping Tom or they're a voyeur or they're known for stealing articles of articles of clothing or whatever it is. So I'm quite sure back then they went through that to try to figure out, is there anybody already on our radar who is doing things like that? This, the calls, this, this sort of thing, because it does seem like with this crime, the calling factor mm-hmm. is, a, is a huge portion of it. Is yeah. part of the the game. Sadly, yes, the game, the excitement. So, not n- not all the offenders that do those things like that would go to those links to keep right. doing the phone calls because every phone call, you're taking the chance of getting caught. Well, unless you got a big old ego and you feel very confident that you won't, and we know a lot True. of times that is the case, you know, with some of these guys, and um, and it's yeah. and I think that that's part of the fetish like that's part mm-hmm. of the the excitement the allure is the phone call like you said and like to continue doing it um oh probably gave him some sort of joy and satisfaction but then we can look at that when we almost like profile him when we think about some other potential uh or you know possible theories in this mm-hmm. case is it are some of these people that we're going to talk about people who would then take the time routinely every week for the next four years to make mm-hmm. these phone calls yeah. Um, there have been, you know, I think that the first thing we should say is that uh, the child's father, Sean's father, uh, 
would be somebody, you know, somebody that you might, people have argued that maybe he wanted custodial rights and he wanted, you know, all these, no, he didn't. I think, in fact, he, I could be mistaken. I almost think he signed his rights away. I don't necessarily think child support was a thing. Remember he lived in Missouri. So he lived like 2000 miles away from where uh, Dorothy and her son lived at this time. Um, and he had an airtight alibi. He was there in Missouri when this happened the night of, he answered his home phone, I think when he was notified about this. So uh, we can go in and take him off. The I do, yeah. And I do want to say, I think we talked about last week or we probably just talking during the week about it, uh -huh. but the, the idea of now in like our current era of investigations, we keep when there's something we've been talking about for a while where a case where people, it keeps coming up with, Oh, this person's been clear because of DNA. This person's been clear because of DNA. Uh -huh. And you and I keep going back to, okay, but what about their alibi? Right. Where were they at the, the night of the murder in a time frame? So in cases like this, if there's the child's father, I mean, that, yeah, those detectives have already probably exhausted everything back then and been able to prove where that person was at that time. You, you know, like exactly. you're saying, so it's this idea. Oftentimes you can read it in comments from videos or people will be, you know, will talk about a case and then it's almost like their brain fabricates a theory or something. Mm -hmm. And then they start running with it. Um, and it's like, well, I don't even know where that comes from. You know what I mean? It's like, right. Oh, based on whatever the, the information, that theory. Yeah. Right. And so like, based on this one, you know, we, the public are given this information and the detectives obviously have more than we have, but the idea that this person does these things, these behaviors, that you can lock him in on mm -hmm. like th that he has to physically back then. I mean, I would almost guarantee he would physically phone. have to be calling her from a payphone. He also has to be somewhere where he can see her and know that she was wearing a ponytail right. or a scarf or yep. the spider bite, you know? So, so let's talk about that. Um, some, some of the, some of the theories here, like I said, so we can take Sean's father, um, her ex-partner off the list. He was not there. He had a stone cold or a, yeah, stone cold. Really? Stone cold alibi? Is that stone. airtight? I think airtight's what I'm looking for. Yeah, airtight. Stone cold Steve Austin. <laughs> oh, uh, stone cold alibi. Stone cold alibi. Yeah, I think he was a WWF champ. Right? Stone cold alibi. <laughs> this is before Steve Austin days. Um, okay, so one of the theories, and, you know, and, and look at it as far-fetched or not, but it's something to consider uh, would be at that time, the East area rapist, Joseph James D'Angelo. He was not arrested until what? Like 2018, I think something crazy, but his crimes all took place um, like in the seventies to eighties. I think actually 1974 to 1986, the East area rapist, um, he had been a police officer. He committed 13 mm -hmm. murders that we know of uh, and 51 rapes. Um, you know, the fact that he had been a police officer, he would know a little bit about tracing yes. calls. Mm -hmm. Uh, so even if not him, it's an idea to think about someone in or around law enforcement, maybe someone whose brother is it, whatever, because you're not going to Google this information. So it's not like someone's going to call and say, yeah. or, you know, hop on their computer and be like, how long can I have this woman on the phone before the cops can trace my call? Yeah. can't do that. So you mm -hmm. either already have to know it or you have to be able to ask somebody that. Mm -hmm. And you can't mm -hmm. ask 
you can't be poking around asking too many of these questions when you're doing this because uh, somebody mm -hmm. may go to the authorities to say exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be Joseph James D'Angelo, the East Area Rapist, like I said. He was all over California from 74 mm -hmm. to 86 doing these things. He was also known to kind of toy with his victims because after he, like, let's say he broke in and would rape someone, he would then call them on the phone. Um, okay. the only thing is that he didn't, as far as I know, I don't think he spoke. He did. I think he did a lot of like breathing okay. into the phone, mm -hmm. uh, just to terrify. I mean, it was just like the fun of terrorizing. It's not that he couldn't have stepped outside of his zone. Mm -hmm. The only mm -hmm. thing about that, that I'm not necessarily on the hook for is that if he's continuing to commit these crimes and do all this stuff until 1986 that we know of, if not longer, we know that these calls were coming into Dorothy's parents weekly from 1980 to 1984. Mm -hmm. So during those four years, while he's doing these other things and trying not to slip up and trying not to get caught on these other charges or, you know, crimes he's committing, is he every week going to make a phone call mm -hmm. to Dorothy's mom after let's say he's already, and also the MO of setting the car on fire and these mm -hmm. kinds of things that wasn't really his jam. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you would, you would also want to look at why Wednesday. So, uh, okay. you know, oftentimes yeah. like, and, and I won't go into a story or anything, but a certain crime had occurred. And I was explaining to a detective, like your pattern is very specific and it's falling in a certain day in a certain time frame. Yep. So now what you have to do, you already have a suspect you're looking at. Yeah. You've got a suspect you're looking at potentially. Who Find, is not available every Wednesday afternoon. Right. Or, you know, I mean, back then, like once you're narrowing your suspect, because because those detectives were looking at people, just like you said, a, a certain rapist or whatever, like you're, you can look at it and go, okay, this occurs every Wednesday at like three o'clock. Why is that? So then when you're narrowing in your focus mm -hmm. and you're looking at a certain person. But you got to think he wasn't caught until 2018. They didn't know right. who he was then. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like the list Just of suspects. Speaking. Yeah, it does. It, small so, things you know, like that do help. No suspects have been ever named. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't mean they didn't have their eye, obviously, on someone at some point. Mm -hmm. But we know it's never been public knowledge of anyone that was an actual person of interest in this case. Uh, like I said, theories abound. They're, they're everywhere. People do say, like I said, something along the lines of, if not... Um, if not yeah. him, Joseph James D'Angelo, the East Area Rapist, maybe someone else affiliated with law enforcement just for some of that knowledge that, that this person would have had. Um, another theory, and for me, this working theory is kind of the most plausible. Mm -hmm. So again, this guy's never been named a suspect. This guy actually passed away in 2014. Uh, take that for how you will in terms of uh, libel or slander on this man's name, but we're not going to be the only ones that talk about him. He, his name comes up kind of in everything you read about the Dorothy Scott case. And his name is Michael Burke. Um, or excuse me, excuse me, Mike Butler. Mike Butler was the brother to a woman who worked at the swingers psych shop that Dorothy worked at. Okay. okay. So Dorothy had a coworker, a female mm -hmm. whose brother is Mike <clears throat> Butler. So Mike has been spoken about as kind of an odd duck over the years. 
Uh, there were whispers that he was involved somehow in the occult. I don't know. We also talk about like satanic panic in the 80s. So I don't know yeah. if oh, whispers yeah. and rumors about his name came up and then this, you know, rumor kind of gets going. I don't know that he actually was involved in that stuff, but a lot of sources will say as much. But either way, they people do say that he was an interesting fellow, that he was mm -hmm. kind of socially awkward. He was just kind of weird, honestly. And like I said, he was the brother of a co-worker of Dorothy's. Now, ever since Dorothy's disappearance, when when people are being talked to and, and you know, um, interviewed about this and questioned, more than a few people would say that Mike was very interested in Dorothy, that he, mm -hmm. um, I think someone said he was obsessed with her, but that he, he really liked Dorothy. This was not reciprocated. She mm -hmm. was not interested, um, but it is said. Now, what's interesting about this is, like I said, he was never named a person of interest publicly uh, per law enforcement, but his sister, I guess, had like, uh, like cut an album. She was kind of like a local celebrity there musically. So she was like a singer songwriter in the area trying to grow that. Mm -hmm. So there are some whispers that, you know, things got a little quiet. I don't know in regards to that. I'm not sure why that would matter, but either way, she's not been vocal about any of this stuff really his sister since mm -hmm. this all happened. Like I said, he passed away in 2014, but let's talk about him just a little bit because he worked as a mechanic, um, like adjacent to the swingers psych shop that she worked at. Okay. Meaning his Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. he would see her. Mm -hmm. He would physically, you know, visibly see Dorothy, what she was wearing, what her hair looked like what kind of mood she appeared to be in, if she was late for work, if she was off that day, because remember these phone calls were just that specific. Mm -hmm. um, so, ooh, uh, so he, they do say, here it is again about alternative religious beliefs. So the, the reason that comes into play is because sometimes some of the argument is that with these dog bones, that that had something to do with like, sacrificials like the way that he buried oh. her and the dog bones to me it's far-fetched um i kind of go under the very simple thought of if someone already had a dog uh that they either kill or that like i think it's a way to just like dissuade the canines like if a if or a you know yeah to confuse to confuse yeah. especially in i love interrupting you too right when you're talking but in 1980 mm -hmm. that would because you couldn't just google bones and kind of like what yeah. we've done before where we've had to google and look at bones and understand that they're animal bones but yes um i would say one or two things there that either one to confuse um detectives if they find the that location right. or if this is a person that's part of a family and they have a, a deceased dog or something like that or whatever they dump the dog at the same spot they don't like later on like potentially later on i mean that's where you would have to look at sedimentary stuff yes like does this mean when you say oh the bones were found on top is there soil between yes that, there the is. is um it, and i don't know the depth the reports are really not again it's 1980 we don't have a lot like these great or not to a public's knowledge um yeah you know capacity of like a recording of that so um, from my best understanding is that there was at least a small layer of soil, but that could have been, it still could have been the same time. Like you, yeah. you bury the body, you throw some soil on top, you bury the, uh, get, 
for the same reason, just to confuse mm -hmm. um, any of the, the body dogs. So they um, put the dog in. I think it's more like that. Like they get a hit. This cadaver yeah. dog gets a hit. They dig down. They find dog bones and hope that they're just going to move right mm -hmm. along their way and not continue to dig. I, I, I would want to say, too, though, with the factor of the arson of the car. Yes. And then and then the um, potential person that is fixated on her and works in that area. You know, that then you could start to look like you had said earlier about potentially a, a prior law enforcement mm -hmm. or someone who is a little more of like. Back then, you, you would walk into a convenience store and on the magazine shelves, you would have like true detectives and all these like magazines with like really salacious stories and that sort of thing. And you had, um, <clears throat> I always think of guys, I mean, I'm sure there were women too, but like guys that would be fixated on stuff like that, like all the gadgets, the radio scanners, the things right, like that, right, the right. police buff. But in a case where that, where you might have a worker <coughs> in the area, detectives back then were, I mean, that's where the old term stakeout comes from. Right. These detectives would sit in parking lots and stuff and watch stuff. So this will be a case of counter surveillance where you're doing surveillance of someone who's doing surveillance of her. Yeah. So you're watching a group of people, maybe mechanics working in the area, whoever is all working in that area. Mm -hmm. Who is fixated on her location? And he also knew her, though. So, like, if mm -hmm. we're talking about this Mike Butler guy, not only did he just work across the street, but he knew her because his sister worked with her. Um, like he would go in the shop. Gotcha. So, people will say things like, but if, if that's someone she knew, then would she not recognize his voice when he was making those phone calls? Well, there has been talk that potentially there was a voice changer used. Um, or even, you know, you put a, a cloth over, you can yeah. muffle. I think yeah. that unless you have a very distinct accent, a very distinct, like mm -hmm. you don't need to call anyone and pretend or prank because somebody's going to know oh, it's me? you. Yeah, you, you specifically. Girl. But there are people who, if they don't have a distinct yeah. voice, <laughs> then they can probably muffle it pretty yeah. easily. So I'm not hung up on that, that it couldn't have been someone she knew because of that. I, I don't. I don't I would necessarily assume, find that to be true. I think that it's going to yeah. be someone she knows based on the statistics of stalking, which we can talk about yeah. here in a moment. But I, I don't know. What do I know? But I do feel like it might be someone who knew of her, but but did not make contact with her, didn't talk to her a whole lot. or You know what I mean? Sure. He's always looking at her from a distance, mm -hmm. maybe. It sounds that way. And someone who's a bit erratic, like we said, in emotion. Like, I would like to hear about this guy the Mike Butler guy yeah. in other areas of his life, other than right. the fact that we know that he was, like I said, kind of like a strange, yeah. a strange bird. Um, but there's no evidence against him. Like I said, he was never considered um, a suspect. He did work close enough to track her. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's interesting. I will tell you that uh, when I looked up just some ideas of statistics on stalking. Now keep in mind, Oh, who was it? You guys Google it and throw it in the chats. Um, the big stalking case from 1989, the actress who was murdered. Oh, I know. Um, I know what you're talking about. So with that case yeah, in 1989, that, that mm -hmm. really threw stalking kind of more on the map, more yes. whatever. Mm -hmm. People wonder why didn't she go to law enforcement because she did not, Dorothy, with these phone calls. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot. keep in mind, people particularly then didn't necessarily know that these kinds of phone calls 
could land someone in jail. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't think, in fact, I think she voiced to her, um, to her mother that, Hey Reed, that she didn't think that if anybody like the, the police could do anything about it anyway, like she just right. thought people are going to, you know, like, well, yeah. sorry, or change your number or whatever. Like, you know, I yeah. don't think that she felt like, um, anything was going to come of that, but we know that an estimated 13, I'm just reading this straight off of this um, website, this st- stalking website, if you will. It's actually stalkingawareness.org, but it's got some interesting bullet points here. And it says mm-hmm. an estimated 13.5 million people are stalked in a one-year period in the United States. That's a lot. Keep in yeah. mind, too, that each state and potentially jurisdiction uh, consider stalking something different. So yeah. the the laws for that where you live may be different than the laws for that where I live, um, and that's what's gonna that's what's gonna define. And in 1980, I think the last, if I'm not mistaken, when this happened with Dorothy, the last time any kind of like stalking type um, laws or you know amendments to that were done with, what was it, like the late 1800s. It was like a very mm-hmm. antiquated law on stalking by this point. If I can interrupt, of course, when I was talking about like counter surveillance and watching people watch other people and you're reading their body language or facial expressions, Uh I I do want to address John G from Spear Talk podcast jumped in the chats earlier Mm -hmm. and uh, that's his world. So he's the head of security for the band Shinedown. He's done other tours and stuff um, and venues. But that's what he's done. His background, Secret Service, is watching people. A lot of that counter surveillance. Yeah. Yes. So, in other words, you're (laughs) you're watching people who do get fixated. So, even something like this, like we have mentioned, celebrities, Mm -hmm. um, and someone gets fixated on a celebrity, or you know, uh, heaven forbid, uh, bands. We've had historically, we've had musicians get shot and killed on stage. Pantera. Right. You know. So, I just want to mention him because he's got an interesting background, but also that idea of when you're working stuff like that to understand what, what it is when people are fixated, how some people just look different at other people that they're fixated on. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was saying earlier. So when you get into stalking, stalking can just be someone who does something like that, like constant phone calls, driving by homes, saying that they're watching you at work and just, and now with modern technology, the, the laws have to, um, increase and, and cover cyber stalking and that sort of thing too. Right. And, you know, and obviously we see that he escalated it and it started with the form of him kind of losing it. He said out loud, I want to chop you into pieces so no one finds you. And then yeah. he physically escalated when he left the rose on her, um, mm-hmm. on her windshield. So we know that more than half of all victims of stalking indicated that they had been stalked before the age of 25. I'm not so sure that this happened with Dorothy. I don't believe so. At least not with this, specific guy mm-hmm. um but the majority of stalking victims are stalked by someone they know 42 mm-hmm. percent specifically by an acquaintance of theirs um so it's it is interesting like uh it says two to three or excuse me two out of three stalkers pursue their victims at least once per week many daily using mm-hmm. more than one method and that's about that's about what he did. Um, mm-hmm. And one out of five cases are weapons used to harm or threaten. And 
almost one out of three. So about 33% of stalkers have stalked before. So I would just like to dig a little more into him personally yeah. and some of his life prior to that. Um, you know, I don't know. I just wish that, um, Hey everybody in the chats. Again, if you're a first time listener, we do have people in the chats that we engage occasionally that we either type out answers to questions about the case with, or, uh, just say hello to. So if you have not, done so all you have to do is log into youtube it's free to create an account and you can hop in the chats too and chit chat with us on the andrea play youtube channel that's right it's free that's the best <laughs> it's free it is and, free. Then, and then you smash that uh that like button yes so you know i don't know and i want to think that um i want to think that you know her family will have answers her dad passed away in the late 90s and her mom in 2002 so you know unfortunately they won't have resolved this her son now her son sean is is an adult obviously at this point mm -hmm. um and he has looked into his mother's case quite often now mm -hmm. for what it's worth from what he's gathered from living in the area talking to people obviously who knew his mother um his train of thought is the mike butler that we spoke about the mechanic that's yeah. kind of the conclusion he's come to based off of the information he has, which I would venture to say is a lot more information than what we we have mm -hmm. um, pertaining to this case. So, yeah, and, and I just don't know that it'll ever be solved, though. I, and I hate I hate saying that. I don't often say that on these cases, but this one's just. Uh, yeah, I, I would. I, I don't. I don't want to say like uh, investigations are a lot easier now than they were in 1980. We There's have ways more, that they are. Yeah, we have more technology now that I was kind of getting distracted a little bit with the trying to trying to chat a little bit in the comments. Um, but now you would have surveillance cameras, you know, DNA, you would have um, social media, you would have phone devices, you know, you would right. have these things. So people now, um, like I had to teach some SROs in a jurisdiction about school threats and that sort of thing. Right. And the spoofing apps that people use to hide phone numbers. And, and so there's always like a countermeasure. So as technology gets better. And when we were kids, it was like, um, star six, star six, or what was nine. It? star six, nine. six, nine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my brother and some kids in the neighborhood love prank calling people, mm -hmm. not any weird stuff like this. I'm just saying like, right. just saying yeah. goofy stuff or prank calling one of their friends or whatever. And then when that invention of star 69 came out, like it ended all that. Like completely like overnight, like nobody prank called anybody anymore. Yeah. But then you had star six, seven, right. Am I mixing them up that blocked your number? And then it would say unknown caller. That. Oh, heck yeah. That's why we kept pranking. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now you called it prank and I call it prank. You ever heard someone say a crank call? Yeah. Is that a colloquial thing? Is that something? You mean a geographic? Or like, yeah. Do you think it's an a, an age thing or a geographic thing? I don't know. If you're in the chats, what do you guys say? Do y'all say um, prank or crank when it comes to these kinds of phone calls? No, I've always said prank. I mean, yes, you're right. I, I've heard that. Yeah, my uncle Curtis used to call and just cut up and joke, mm -hmm. but he would call and just start like breathing heavy because when he was a kid, that's what that's what people would do. Like weirdos would call. I remember him. Yeah, and so. He would call and breathe real heavy, and then he would just start coughing and be like, oh, no, I'm not prank calling you. That's just my emphysema acting up or whatever. That's terrible. But back then when we were kids, we, we thought stuff like that was funny. Um, but just the, the idea, he called it prank, too. Okay. And he's lived all over, you know, 
the we've country, got a few so. people. So we have um, Carly saying prank. Bosco saying that crank call would be more northern. Marine's blood is saying prank. Uh, Carly says she has heard crank, but it was her grandmother from Boston. Um, yeah, I wonder. It might it, be more of a northern thing. I wonder if it has something to do with like when phones were like really old. Did you, oh, have, like a did you have to crank a phone? I can't remember. No, I don't mean like that you would know. That was you. That was before my time. <laughs> I said it realized. I don't mean like. <laughs> no, when why BC am I first learned that? the crank call, he like had the thing up to his ear, like Andy Griffith when he got the, um, yeah, the operator. They, you know what? I'm almost positive they did because in the army, like the old field phones, you had to crank them. Yeah. To call, and then you would shock people because it because it builds up a charge. Yeah. So I don't know. Crank call. I always said prank because you're. You're, it's like a joke. You're playing a joke on right. someone. And I think there's no such word as S-O-D-A. We don't They're say that. All in the chats. And we don't put S-O-D-A with that other word, P-O-P. It's it's called a Coke, right? Mm -hmm. You and I agree with this, and we've told many people, and they don't understand. The conversations, kids, or whatever, would go just like this. Hey, you want a Coke? Yeah, I can. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. Okay. That's it. Plain and simple. Don't <laughs> don't talk to us about sodas and soda pops and all. Hey that. James, James is saying prank. Yeah, it's all it's prank call. That's all. Oh well, I don't know. I don't know. This one's a weird one. Um, there have been no developments since I covered it last year, and obviously it happened a long time ago. Uh, but yeah. And, and do I'll, you have any gut feeling before we log off on this one? Just based off of the minimal information. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, if, uh, that whoever, everyone agrees in an investigation, like who is this person that's so fixated on her that everybody's telling us about? That's who you focus on. And, and back then, you would have to have a rock solid alibi. Right. That's where I say Stone too, like cold alibi. Like, why is it Wednesday? I mean, it's almost stupid to do that because now your behavior is becoming so predictable. The countermeasure is you could get caught. So why is it every Wednesday? Or it just builds up and it's like, I don't know. Like they just have to do it on a Wednesday at a certain time. Yeah. I That's know. I mean it's very telling about them. So uh, but yeah, I mean, as, as little as we have, it would definitely be someone in close proximity to her. <laughs> yeah, you hear how I said that? Uh huh. Close proximity. I just kind of like blended the word, but I just typed proximity because you said it. Yeah, but it would. Ha I would assume it would have to be. You, you kind of use Occam's razor with this. You go with the simple. Yep. Format. You know, you don't sit. You don't muddy it up. And so, someone has to have access to her. They have to see her. And that's why I say you would do counter surveillance measures. You would have detectives in plain clothes that blend in. They would be able to watch that area, that sort of thing. So it's got to be someone like that. Uh, and I would venture to say someone who's pretty patient. Um, but almost like seems like fixated on her, you know, oh, yeah. not not like he's fixated and stalking 20 different people. I could be wrong, but. Um, yeah. You know. Well, um, well, everybody, we've got some people joining us late. You guys, you got to go back yeah. and listen to the show now. It was a good one. Um, the Dorothy Scott show or case, you can look it up. There's not really much more information than that out there. You can, you know, I say it every week. You can go in these little Reddit tunnels and find all kinds of speculation and stuff. But 
uh, in terms of actual facts for the case, this is about all we've got um, mm -hmm. at this point. So unfortunately, this one isn't as promising to me as some in terms of it being solved this many years later. It just, uh, I don't know. There wasn't much to go off of and any, I think any evidence was, was gone. A quick note on that, the, her bones uh, were a bit charred, uh, not big time, but, mm -hmm. but there are two things there. So there had been, like I said, uh, a brush fire, like a wildfire in that area where the bones were found. Okay. So the dog's bones were charred as well. But also remember that her car had been set up ablaze. Mm -hmm. um, so investigators do think that she, her remains had been there since at least prior to the brush fire and that that's what charred them. Um, probably I don't see her being in the car long enough to char her bones. Mm-hmm. And then taken out because her car was found later yeah. that that same evening that she went missing. So I don't believe that her bones were charred from the event of her car um, being on fire because it, we've talked about it. But to burn a body doesn't work that easily. So this car wasn't even fully, fully burned. And it yeah. would take more than that to be able to get through the tissue and not, you know, mm -hmm. not to be gross, but through the tissue, through the the, the wetness of our bodies to get mm -hmm. to the bones and then to also char them. So. I think that that's yeah. just a um, a coincidence that the car had been burned, then her bones were charred. But I think it was very likely from that wildfire that had happened in the area. Yeah, and and cars being set on fire, I mean, it's often shown in the movies, you know, as like a way to destroy DNA and mm -hmm. evidence and all that. Um, but it's not. I mean, at least in the areas that I worked and other agencies that I talked to, and you know, you, you all sit around and talk about stuff and trends and you don't see it a whole lot. Like once it happens, right. it's kind of like, okay. Um, so for even that to happen again, if it's from the wildfire, that's one thing. If the bones are, you know, three feet under soil and there's a wildfire, then, but they the bones were charred, mm -hmm. then yeah, that could be. I don't have accounts as to how deep they are. I couldn't find that or were buried. I can't, I couldn't yeah. find that anywhere. Um, but I also know that her car was found, what, 4.30 in the morning. So let's say uh, four and a half hours or so mm -hmm. uh, after she had her car had last been seen. And to drive it 10 miles away, set it on fire. I just don't know why you would leave a body sitting there for a few hours and then take the body with you. <laughs> the bones and everything to go just pose of them somewhere else. So yeah. Yeah. I just think it's more unlikely that it was burned from the mm -hmm. car. Yeah, I would agree too, and probably that's going to help narrow down maybe your your person mm -hmm. a little fixation with fire. Mm -hmm. Well, he's doing all the things. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it makes you wonder if he didn't actually cut her up. Now, you know, like I said, we didn't find all of her all of her bones were not found, but I think that that's something that's not uncommon when you look at a wild area like that, um, mm -hmm. a rural area. You've got animals that will drag bones and take you know take bones and things like that. So. Uh, and, and again, I mean, I say again, but um, when people talk about a body being buried, I mean, it, you have to dig far. Yeah, I don't think it was like, dug that far. Yeah, right. that's what I say. Like, so right. if it's it's if it's just below the surface, you do have wildlife that will come along, um, and begin to, you know, yeah, uh, to take parts off, you know, and and the the whole act of decomposition begins and. You know, it's interesting though. We have 
what, 206 bones in the human body as adults. So I have no idea. Well, that's, there were only a handful found. So it is, yeah. you know, a, a lot would have had to have been displaced, but mm -hmm. who knows in terms of now we're getting in the weeds of it, but who knows in terms of um, whether landslides, yeah. you know, water washing things out like that. You know, I don't, I don't know about that specific area at that time, but so who knows? I mean, I think that that can be explained away, but um, either way, my goodness. Um, yeah. And, and, not to get into story time, but yes, um, when parts fall off of a body mm -hmm. and if they're on an incline, like yeah. I was an officer when a person's head, like decomp started, they had hung themselves in a wooded area. And so once their body fell, it, it, the weight of it and the decomp caused the head to pop off, but the head rolled down the decline. So it was one of those at first. It did the not first look like thing, a suicide. Exactly. Yeah. The first thing that is found is the body that the head is a off headless of. headless body, yeah. And so, yes. So, so stuff like that can confuse a crime scene. Um, but, yes, when, when the body begins to, to decomp and wild animals remove parts <coughs> and stuff. Mm -hmm. Or there may have been, you know, saw marks or something on the bones that investigators could say, yes, this, in fact, was sawed in half. So yes, this lends back to him saying, cutting her up, that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, and you know. and I, I have actually read to your point specifically to try to find that, like, were there, uh, was there any evidence to show means of death with her bones? And if there is, it wasn't, it's not noted publicly yeah. anywhere. So yeah, nor <laughs> should it be, nor should it be. Yeah. But <clears throat> we know what happens. I, I, I saw a comment that says, I'm cool with story time. I, Cold. Yeah, I don't always like just going into story time and also no, you can't always do that. But yes, um, when things happen like that, you have to remember this, not always like that in the movies. And, and when straightforward you, and when you, like that. Too. Yeah, yeah. And when you get on the scene like that, there are actual universities that will help excavate a crime scene when when a bear, a body is buried and they and they excavate it just like you would a dinosaur mm -hmm. or um Fossils. And yeah, yeah archaeologists, like, yeah, the yeah. way they would do that. And then you would bring in people from, um, you know, doing soil samples and all mm -hmm. that. I mean, it, it is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, NC State University in Raleigh, North Carolina, used to do, they may still do it, uh, a course called Bugs, Bones, and Botany. And that's what they go into is just oh, I love it. all of that. But yes, when you can do that through years and years of, of learning, you know, nowadays, uh, that crime scene obviously would look much different when they excavate it, you know, and get, and start to pull up um, different facets like that uh, or different um, aspects from the crime, the crime scene. But I'm stumbling all over my words. But, yes, um, we might have to do an, an episode with not necessarily story time, but when uh -huh. we can talk about maybe things a little differently. Um, and I don't eat up all your time. You're not at all. I'm actually just responding. You're, you're exactly right. I think that stuff is fascinating. So I'm all down for that. Um, I don't know why my chats are doing something weird, but anyway, Bosco just said, or asked, did anyone, <laughs> has anyone gotten their stickers? Yes. <laughs> Bosco, we're on it. Uh, <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. I just wrote. Oh, sorry. I think I sent that to you. Uh, anyway, yes, Bosco, we are on it. I'm so sorry. We've been a little distracted and 
Oh yeah. Um, you were in the private chat. So yeah, sorry. Uh, but yes, you will be getting the stickers. We have your address. Uh, that's our bad. So we will send we will send you a few for sure. Uh, the truck, the truck uh, semi stickers are a lot smaller than I had anticipated when I ordered them. But I've got some more coming out. Um, got some hoodies coming out. And Bill over at Minor League Studios has my other good stickers, like my big square night shift stickers. So if you order a hoodie, you will get a free sticker with that as well. Um, again, that will be on Minor League Studios, and you can go there now to buy a hoodie from Disruptors merch. So they have uh, hoodies there with their classic Panther on the back, and those are pretty cool. And a t-shirt. T-shirts are still and up, And t-shirts are still up, too. So we've got a lot of that. Coming out with around. new shirt designs, probably here in the next month, maybe, and mm -hmm. decals as well. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, we've got a few things like that here um, going on. And so moving forward, you guys, like I said, can find BC at BC Sanders on at Instagram. Same thing with YouTube. It's Disruptors Podcast with BC and Ski on the YouTube if, channel. And if I could also say um, some people don't, going to Instagram, they okay. maybe Facebook or other stuff. I'm not on any other social media, but I do have Gmail with the disruptor. So it's the disruptors uh, dot BC dot ski. That's S K I at Gmail. Okay. So for, for other listeners who are not in the chat, you know, who are listening to your podcast, sure. they can reach out to us. Mm -hmm. um, and that's good for questions on investigations, ideas for the show, uh, training that I got coming up, all yep. that stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you can always leave a, um, a comment on YouTube if you have YouTube, if you're listening, guys, on Spotify or iTunes or anything like that. You can always leave a comment on YouTube if you're not on Instagram and we can get back with you um, that way as well. But mm -hmm. I think we're going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, I hope you guys are doing good. Everybody in the chats, we appreciate you guys. Love y'all. Um, really appreciate your support. Definitely for real, y'all, like hit just hit download on the streaming services because then you don't have to do anything and it'll just show uh, in terms of numbers and is a big old help over here for the show. So subscribe, like, give me some more reviews if you would on, um, on iTunes, please. That would be, that would be nice. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, actually oh, the most creative review will get something. Faulkner, you're still getting a shirt. I just haven't made it yet, obviously. Um, I like that. Yeah. The most creative review will get, Maybe one of the new, uh, like a new baseball tee or something. Whatever it is that I'm yeah. got going on here. Mm -hmm. um, Faulkner did win a Halloween contest, so it's coming. It's coming, girl. But hey, we appreciate you guys and uh, like, rate, review, all that good stuff, and send in some more case ideas. Uh, Y'all are slacking. You used to send me case ideas all the time. Send in some case ideas, and uh, until next time, right? I guess we will see y'all next Tuesday. Does that make you laugh? It does. <laughs> Every